This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Andrew. Hey. Overdue is brought to you by BetterHelp. Andrew, when's the last time you learned something new about yourself? I learn something new about myself every day, as long as you have no follow-up questions. <laughs> well, what does it feel like to learn about yourself? Usually okay, sometimes yeah. bad. <laughs> well, I'd agree. We just spent a month reading books that we read years and years ago, and part of the fun was thinking about how we've grown and changed as readers and podcasters. You know, getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, and you don't need to run a podcast for 10 years to do it. Hmm. Tell me more. <laughs> you could try therapy with BetterHelp. It's too late I, for me, but it might not be too late for the people <laughs> at home. I think therapy can help you better understand yourself, talking through your day-to-day experiences, or diving into something you've been struggling with for a while. It can help you set boundaries or set some goals that help you be your best self. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and is designed to be convenient and flexible so you can easily connect with a licensed therapist. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overdue. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew, still. It is, isn't it? Yep. Ain't okay. changed it. Not in 10 years. It's been the same the whole time. <laughs> now that we've redone the Do Overdue stuff, maybe it's time to hit hit reset and really think about starting a new chapter of the of the podcast, like with different names and identities. Whoa. Okay. And social security numbers. Should we start a burner podcast? <laughs> yes. They can't trace us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. VPNs. We've, yes. We've committed mm, all of yes. this to recording, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could uh, fix it in post. Oh, yes. Okay. As, as they cart me off to prison, I'm yelling, fix it in post. I fixed it in post. <laughs> Welcome to our book podcast, where each week one of us reads a book, tells the other person about it. Welcome to the month of March. Marching we forward have, yep. into more bo- into books we haven't read before again. We're no, we're no longer breaking all the rules. We're yes. following all the rules. I've looked ahead at the we're schedule, good mm-hmm. and we are following the rules this month. Mm. So it feels feels good after being a little subversive to follow yes. the rules. I read the book "This Is How You Lose the Time War" by Amal El Matar and Max Gladstone, two people who are good friends. Yes, who wrote a book of very intense love notes to each other. That's true. It's a book about time travel and love uh, and love okay. in the time of time travel. Do people love to time travel? Mm, it's not really explored. It's just kind of a thing that they do. <laughs> That's that's going to be the troubling thing. The the hard thing about this book for us is we are always like, tell me, me the world, tell Build me it. the system, yeah, so I can play this video game and beat it, yeah. And there's no like there's no visible system in this, so we're gonna have, we'll we'll have to get over that. Okay, mm-hmm. I will work to get over that, and I trust that you can help me. Yeah, we're gonna do our best. Yeah. Um. So this book, uh, came to our attention. It was a you know a multiple award winner. So Nebula and Hugo Award winner in 2019 and 2020. 
won the BSFA award for best shorter fiction in 2019. I think it's when it was released. Um, it was a finalist for a Shirley Jackson award. It won a locus award. So like this a few years ago, everybody's like great book. Love to lose the time more. Love to <laughs> tell lose me more more. And we should, <laughs> we should read about it. Um, but this is the first and only collaboration of these two authors. Mm-hmm. Um, El Matar was born in 1984 in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, grew up there, but also spent some time with uh, her family in their native Lebanon. Um, she's a poet, short story writer, editor, critic, um, creative writing instructor. She's been editing a poetry quarterly for many, many years, has won awards for poetry, um, I think her most famous short story that she won awards for was uh, Seasons of Glass and Iron in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd been writing short fiction for like a decade at that point. Mm-hmm. And this uh, is no no uh, association with the Song of Ice and Fire. This is a different I thing of something to, and something. <laughs> I had to read that multiple times. Gladstone has a like tangential connection to George R. R. Martin. He's contributed to this anthology series called wild cards which is a sprawling uh (laughs) superhero thing the way you pronounce that did make it sound like it had a z on the end (laughs) (laughs) um that martin and melinda snodgrass have been editing for a while but we'll get we'll get to him in a second okay Uh, i found an interview with el matar on storylogical.com that i just appreciate her honesty about how she comes to some of her fandoms and things. She talks about growing up reading a lot of Tolkien. And she also says she grew up, grew up really liking Doctor Who, but she th- only knew about the books. Here's the Wait, quote. <laughs> I discovered Doctor Who via novelizations that my dad's cousin Michael had. I think they were like Terrence Dick's novels, and one of them was Planet of the Daleks. I didn't know it was a TV show. I thought these were books. I thought this up until the reboot with Chris Eccleston, where I genuinely said to other humans, oh, I remember these books from my childhood. I guess they're making them into a TV show. And I was gently that's and lovingly corrected. That, that's that's great. I love it. I, just, I, I love assumptions that don't go challenge for a super long time. Like benign assumptions about very something benign. that don't go challenge for a long time. And yeah. then are corrected in non-embarrassing <laughs> ways. <laughs> So that Very they make fun. good anecdotes later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about how uh, she and, and Gladstone came to this book, but I'll cover him briefly. Also born in 1984. but Busy, in, busy year. Yeah. Mamma mia. Year. Um, just, just before we arrived, mm-hmm. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, born in 1984 in Concord, Massachusetts. Grew up in Ohio and Tennessee and other places. Uh, he studied Chinese at Yale, and he actually taught in China for a few years among a bunch of other jobs that he had. Um, and then his debut novel comes out, Three Parts Dead, in 2012, part of this thing called The Craft Sequence. I have not heard a, a, a run of books called A Sequence ever, maybe? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Just a, it's just fun when you encounter a new noun it's a for cool, a yeah, series. It, it's a, and it's a cool word when you don't want to box yourself into writing a certain number of them also. Good, yes, yeah, These are just also. books that follow in a sequence. It's not a, <laughs> it's not a set number of them. He's got like five or six books in that series. I think sequence. he's written... In, in, oh, excuse me. In that sequence, mm-hmm. uh, he's got at least one iOS game that he wrote 
like the narrative four that takes place in that universe. Mm. I wonder um, if it still runs. So many iOS games have been left behind by business models and and OS updates. Yeah, mm. it's a shame. Yeah, Drop Seven is a great game. I don't know if it still runs. I miss, um, train, I miss train Yard. What's Train, train Yard? Tra- well, it doesn't run anymore, so it's not really. <laughs> was it like one of those land land plane games? It's, but no, it's for kind trains? of like a, no, it's kind of a mazy sort of Ooh. thing where you had to get a train from one end of the track to the other while avoiding devious obstacles. I presume this came out before there was any monetization, other than buy it. I mean, I think I spent like two bucks on it. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Gladstone also had a standalone novel, Empress of Forever, in 2019. He was a Campbell Award finalist for like best new author mm. uh, in 2013 and 2014. Um, and he also worked on some serial fiction through that service, Serial Box. Mm. Um, he has a series called Book Burners that was like urban fantasy stuff. God, if you so, had put a gun to my head, I would have told you that Serial Box was that service that advertises on podcasts that send you like knock off healthy cereal no it's a it's a po- it's a okay. service that advertises on podcasts that sends you serial fiction okay <laughs> <laughs> um so the two of them uh el Matar and uh max gladstone they became friends in the like sci-fi convention circuit mm-hmm. um and they started writing letters to each other you know, writing about writing and things like that because they didn't like, they were both experienced in, you know, communicating with people online and things like that. And uh-huh. they just wanted a different type of, of communicating for the yeah, types it's very of things, different. you know, it yeah. is. Um, letter, letter ostensibly has more of a structure to it. Like, I think, I think more formality when I think of a letter as I opposed too. to like a post. Yes. Um, and I think also, and there might be some lines in this book that I saw floating around that speak to something they said in the interview where like when you're writing to someone, you're not writing to the person in the present when you're writing it, you're writing it to the person in the future who's reading it. Ooh, so there's some more. like kind of time travel stuff. Like, they're just interested in it as an art form. Um, and then like while they they've got this correspondence going on. And Max started writing her letters from his book tour that he was on and she couldn't respond. So he, because he was like traveling all over the place. So he was just reading her short fiction instead and becoming a big fan. Um, And they come to this realization that they should collaborate on something. Uh, And I think it starts as them like running away at another convention and like spending a day just writing in the same room and Mm -hmm. like passing material back and forth mm-hmm. um and then over the course of like six weeks of work they said they had a novella like i think the other goal was to like not make another full book's worth of work for each other yeah but to kind of honor their interest in the project and just go from there yeah i mean what people ask us every time we do a Q and a episode about like how we just, just like literally sit and do a podcast. And a lot of it is just, it is a lot easier when you have another person who is the same amount of involved as you are, who you can like let down if you don't hold your end. Uh-huh. <laughs> it makes the work go a lot. It makes the work a lot lighter. 
they uh there was one interview elliotpepper.com um try to the a lot of the stuff i got was from a locust mag interview but this was something else max said it was really nice when they were writing that they had a specific person obviously they were writing in character but to also have the other collaborator in mind as like oh i wrote this i want the other person to read it i know that they're going to read it so i'm envisioning them as they're writing um and also that there was some fun like Oh, they they wrote something real good. I gotta beat them on my mm-hmm. next one. Like mm-hmm. I gotta because sure. I believe the way this is structured, Andrew, it's two characters, and each of the authors is responsible for one of those characters. Yeah, that makes sense. Because um, it's it's a letter writing yes. book. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think all I have on the. On the genesis of the book and these authors, I know it was optioned for TV in 2019, but I didn't see anything else. 2019 is a rough year to get optioned to become a TV yeah, show because you're getting yeah. in like just before COVID and then right after and, that, the bottom falls out of the unlimited money peak TV machine. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we'll see if uh, this is how you lose the time war ends up <laughs> going to stars or whatever. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> service. Before we take our break, Andrew, what uh, just like when you were looking for a recent, a more contemporary entry into into our schedule, like what struck you about this one? Uh, time travel stuff mostly. Yeah, you like a time travel book. I like a time travel. It gives. There's always something to talk about, you know. Mm. Even because even if you don't like end up liking it or the characters or whatever, there is always the timey wimey part to try and sift through. Yeah, okay. And that's not the case with this book. Like, I did like it, but <laughs> I. But there is also plenty to talk about, I think. I hope. Well, great. we'll see. We'll see on the other side of this break. We'll all find out together. <laughs> you know, the time war I'm always losing, Craig, is the war to find time to go to the doctor. <laughs> Which is why I'm happy to tell you about ZocDoc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and they treat almost every condition under the sun. There's no more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who's patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. Uh, Craig, I think you and I both use ZocDoc. I've yeah. used it to schedule dentist appointments, eye exams. Uh, I've got to use it to find an allergist before we go to our extremely polleny oh, no. college campus this spring. <laughs> uh, and I like that you can pick an appointment time right from the site and fill out a lot of the paperwork before you set foot in the waiting room. So uh, go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue and download the ZocDoc app for free. And find a book, a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash overdue. Zocadoc dot com slash overdue. Andrew, the other thing I do not have time for mm-hmm. is building a website from scratch. Who has, hear, who has time for that? Nobody I hear does. it it's might impossible. be rewarding, but I truly do not have the time and I need a website right now the only people who on the entire globe who have time to make a website are the people at squarespace take our word for it squarespace is a website that helps you make websites without taking a whole bunch of time to do it they've got beautiful templates they've got those drag and drop tools and they've got 24 7 award-winning customer support 
so you don't have to spend time banging your head against a problem that you accidentally created for yourself well, when you're looks. trying to put your website together. <laughs> uh, here's some other things about Squarespace we like. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns, collect email subscribers, and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. Whoosh! That's Whoosh. the email, the email sending noise. God, that thing can be when so you loud. Have your, notifi- when your so notifications satisfying. turned on. Uh, video Studio lets you create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. Vroom vroom. Gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, most read content, and more. And you own all of the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability if you have time to go somewhere else, which you don't. I promise you, you don't. You you won't need it. No. So go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. Time to make the websites. Okay, Andrew. Okay, Craig. Where would you like to start? Do you want to start in side the novel talking about the things that happen or do you want to start outside the novel talking about what it's like <laughs> i'm not sure what kind of a choice this is <laughs> uh so the book is about two characters like you said and the, okay and the cover of the book kind of hints at this because there's a red bird and a blue bird right you well. get it Okay, get it? And so there's one character named Red and one character named Blue. No, this isn't an adaptation of that old internet cartoon where the two Halo guys yep. Red like versus fought Blue? with each other or whatever. I don't yeah. never watched it. Um, uh, but it's not that. It is my understanding that Max wrote Red and Amal wrote Blue. That That is what I saw in one review. All right, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Not really, like, I don't... I don't think it's, like, super tonally important which one wrote which, but it is interesting just to know that... that each of them was responsible for one of them entirely. Yeah, and like they had an editor that was like, hey, can you maybe clean some stuff up? But I think they, they deliberately approached the project as I'm responsible for this voice, you're responsible for that voice. Yes. And so Red and Blue are these like warrior beings. Red is part of this sort of cybernetic society that's that's all enhanced with a bunch of machine parts sort of mm. it's all it's all very like vague what the what the society is like cuz you only really meet red and then the commandant which is this weird like disembodied consciousness that is running their side of the war effort and okay. then blue works for the the society's just called garden they're they're both these weird like collectivist sort of mm. groups that are waging this war across time so red works for the techno people. Blue works for the like garden plant people. Yeah. And they both just kind of, they don't like meet face to face. So to say that they keep running into each other, I don't want you to imagine like a meet cute running into each other, like in the hallway on the battlefield or whatever. Like they keep running into the results of each other's like, handiwork. Oh, and neat. come to sort of appreciate, the the skills that they each have even though they're like adversaries okay what um, do you get a sense of 
do they have clearly defined roles in the time war? That's it's very it's so loosey goosey. Everything about the time war, because so time travel. I think this is mostly on Earth because it keeps referencing like you know Earth societies and cities and stuff. So you have like an Atlantis, but there's like a bunch of Atlantises because of all the different going back and forth in time, you've created a bunch of different possible realities that oh. you have to keep jumping back and forth between so that your adversary doesn't get a, a leg up on you in creating whatever reality is. And so there's this, this, these, these terminology, this terminology they employ where they talk about threads, like threads being like distinct timelines. So the threads have like num like a number designation that lets you know exactly which one is which. Okay. Um, and then you can go like up thread or down thread. And I think up thread is like further in the past and down thread is further in the in the future but you know where you where you are positionally makes you it it affects what you affect when you mess around with stuff in time but you don't ever really like so okay here's here's how the book begins and i just want to read this to you so you so you kind of know how close you are to the actual time war itself. Uh, when red wins, she stands alone, blood slicks her hair. She breathes out steam in the last night of this dying world. That was fun. She thinks, but the thought sours in the framing. It was clean. At least climb up times threads into the past and make sure no one survives this battle to muddle the futures. Her agencies arranged the futures in which her agency rules in which red herself is possible. She's come to not this strand of history and sear it until it melts. And you don't, like you do not see people like leading battles. You don't, you don't even mm. a lot of the time see like the specific stuff that they're there to do in time. You get a couple like runs of, of that. Let me see if I can find. Uh, sure. Maybe this okay. Uh, in ninth century, Al Andalus, she serves the right tea at the right time in the diamond city of Zanj. She strangles a man with a silken cord. She seeds the strand nine Amazon basin with defanged versions of European superbugs 10 centuries before first contact. And when conquistadors arrive, they face locals by the millions, strong, thriving communities that won't perish by mere contact with the world across the waves. She kills again and again, frequently, but not always to save. And she washes over her shoulder. Um, so very, very rarely do you, but, but even when you get like examples of the stuff that she's doing or that either of them are doing to affect time, you don't really know what the, like the goal is. It's just that they're doing it. It's just, they're doing it. It's really that what the, the picture you get of the time war is just this like big unending, like trench warfare where yeah, neither okay. side really has a, like a win condition or neither side can really make progress against the other because as soon as you thought you think you've won somebody else goes and does something else in time and it undoes all of it like it yeah and the 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 creation of alternate realities and timelines seems to complicate ever having a win condition yeah Mm because it's it's not like you are just like it's not a back to the future thing it's not like you know you you those bugs those super bugs just erase future people for all time it's just they might change future people in that thread you do get some some weird loopy things which we'll talk about a little bit like there there are things that change but as far as the time war goes i'm just i'm saying all this stuff up front because it's not really about the time war but it's It's called this is (laughs) The time war. Listen, and I knew that you thought it was going to be a how-to guide about how to lose the time war. I did thought maybe yes, mm-hmm. but 
Mm-hmm. What is it instead? So it's a, it's really it's a love story. It's a forbidden oh. love story between Ooh. these two agents on these two different sides. So I've I have described all this time war stuff to to paint you a backdrop against which the entire rest of the story can play out. Great. Uh, so red and blue have seen each other's handiwork and keep kind of running into each other again, not like in a, yeah. in a rom com sort of like you drop your papers all over the sidewalk and you both bend over to pick up the papers and then you see, you look up and you see how cute each other is. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Or like you have a small bookstore and but then another guy has like a big bookstore and you both have AOL and you both yeah. have AOL. <laughs> so when you say that they they are coming across evidence of the other, it isn't what my brain wants to do is be like, "Oh, they're hopping across these different battles and whatever." And maybe that's true, but also they're hopping between different times and so yeah. like coming okay, okay. Yeah, and and basically the, you will you look at things that have happened in time and then you think through it to like whatever little like butterfly the other person stepped on to make that reality possible. And you're like, Oh yeah, that was smart. That was good. That was a good job you did on the time war. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so they start writing each other these covert letters. And a lot of the book, the book, it alternates between red and blue. And then each like red chapter and each blue chapter is split between a letter from one to the other, and then some of the stuff that the person is doing. Like, oh, neat! Okay. Around around when they received that letter, but they're not supposed to be communicating because they're on different sides of this time war, and because it's this intractable thing. Like the sides are not really talking and negotiating at all. It's all just endless fighting and they don't know anything else. And and there's not supposed to really be contact between the the two sides, but both red and blue are, um, they aren't like commanding troops in the time war or whatever, but they are both like sort of favored agents in the time war by, you know, the, whatever entity is controlling both of these societies. Yes. Uh, so they have, they, they have some leeway, but also they, you know, they're, they're being, watched over with some are they doing attentiveness by craft it's not really a kind of i guess maybe sometimes sometimes you see them like trying to save a society so like if if atlantis is going down you try to buy them time to escape with more technology so that they can you know so that that ripples down the timeline it's not really important what they're doing okay (laughs) I was just asking what flavor of thing they're doing. It's really, it's all over the place. Okay. And it's even the, like you, sometimes you get a sense that they can just kind of like phase from thread to thread and just kind of jump all over the place instantaneously. Sometimes you get an idea that they are like embedding themselves in societies and trying to like Mm. blend in and, and influence things that way. There's not even really a set of, rules go like there's not even kind of a quantum leap set of yes <laughs> okay no no that makes sense set, like a shape to the time travel that helps you understand whatever loop it is that's happening it really it, is just like jumping all over the place it sounds like it, it is not doing the like and oh no you can't cross the streams like there's not a like in a in a like there's no rule sounds like there's like no rules laid out in terms of what they can can't or should be doing yeah not really you get a couple of kind of oblique references to like making things too chaotic in a way that is (laughs) that would 
ensure like mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Okay. But it's you never get the rules of the time war laid out. Sure. Great. Okay. Uh, so they're writing themselves each other letters, and they're having to do it really covertly, including all kinds of weird stuff like writing letters out and like the the lava of a rock or like yes, bury, writing a letter like on a fish and letting a seal eat it and yes. <laughs> like every. Yes. Every chapter is one of them doing something that results in them stumbling upon a letter that the other one wrote on them. And it's, it's wrote to them. And it's part of the reason I think that the timey wiminess is a little, uh, loopy and all over the place is you get the sense that as these two authors were writing these letters back and forth, that it was really kind of up to them to decide like how to link the next things one or together something. like yeah. it's, it's they didn't sit down and do like a, a an outline where it's like okay this this character is in this time doing this thing here and then it goes to this character doing this thing in this time it's just, i think you get the sense that they're really just like playing off each other and and making things up for fun you know yeah. in a way that sort of defies the putting together a set of rules like we like. So I feel like I've said that a lot, but it's, it's really, it is the experience of reading. This can be unmooring because you keep waiting for there to be like a scene of exposition or, or something a little bit more concrete and it never really comes, which is, which is fine. It's just depending on what you come to the book kind of expecting it can, it can take you unawares. And I think that some of the good reviews are, are a little about that, right? Like, yes, just about the chaos of the, <laughs> of the book and of trying well, to follow what the timeline is. And there's, there's even, there's a remark from, um, a British science fiction association, like web magazine interview that they gave where, um, she says, El- Elmatar says, um, the book is built, uh, we were sitting across from each other and we only had recourse to our own bodies of knowledge. They were at like a convention where there was no internet in this gazebo or whatever. The book is built primarily out of no research, but instead what we brought to the literal table between us in a literal gazebo as we wrote things. So I, I think they really prioritized like, here's my idea. Mm-hmm. Here's your idea. Well, and if you don't, you know, if you don't know exactly how Caesar got stabbed in Rome, then it's just because it's not in the same timeline as <laughs> as the rest of yeah. us. And I, I am struck too by the fact that like she is somebody who has worked in poetry a lot as well, and just like some of the the more fanciful elements that you have described even very briefly are just like, well, why can't it be that? feels like the energy that they brought to parts of this book Mm -hmm. like no one's gonna tell us no we're right i'm writing the book for you you're writing the book for me (laughs) um yeah yeah how does their relationship like kick into a a gear that would necessitate a book it starts as being like taunts and trash talk a little bit Mm. like hey buddy i i know your handiwork and i'm gonna kick your butt great jerk yes and (laughs) And the, but and so in this way it is a little rom com is it starts with some <laughs> mild it goes like enemies to lovers a little bit okay sure um, and again they never really meet face to face until like the the very end and even then only kind of mm. um but they just are are writing each other a lot of letters and they are they are finding shared interests and like sharing little snippets of things 
about each other's society and neither one is really sure like am I being played or am I oh, really yeah. like falling falling for this person it's it starts with like professional admiration and slowly over time becomes this more personal thing okay um, and that's it's without going into like individual notes that's just kind of, that's how it proceeds for a, a while for for you know the first like two-thirds of the book it is just sort of escalating letters but then you you have these like red is being pursued by somebody she thinks she's not sure Mm-hmm. Um, both red and blue are worried that their like respective bosses are going to like figure out that they're fraternizing with the, with the enemy and that, and that it's going to go bad. And toward the end, like that does, uh, they, both of their bosses do sort of realize, Hey, you two have been close together a bunch of times and not in like an accusatory way, but in a, I need you to take this other person out kind of way. Oh, sure. Yeah. You're you're like you're each, they're each circling each other mm-hmm. on the battlefield. On all the, the threads yeah. and the up threads and the down threads and the, yes. ah. <laughs> Have what by the time that's happened, do they they have their kind of like illicit feelings for one another and now the job has come a calling? Yeah, yeah. Like okay. here's a um this operative has been grooming you. Her behavior suggests a fondness for grand gesture. You're being played subtly, perhaps so subtly you do not realize it yourself. Her masters want a weakness in our ranks. And you mm. don't even, you the reader are not even sure whether that's true. True. Because, okay. or, or whether it's not true. Like it's, it's, you are so in the dark about what each character is thinking or like the the long game that they're playing because every it seems like everybody's playing a slightly longer game it's like we you didn't watch oceans 11 at the friend gathering that we were just at because you had you had norovirus but i watched oceans 11 and you know how in oceans 11 every (laughs) what why every brag at me that you got the virus later i've seen oceans 11 well me getting the virus didn't uh preclude me from watching oceans 11 is what i'm saying so you know how in the movie oceans 11 everything that appears to go wrong was actually part of the plan the whole time correct (laughs) you get the sense that every like in this book Every, every, you know, maybe red is beating blue at, on the battlefield at this particular moment in time. But maybe that's because blue is working on something bigger yeah. where where she's going to be red. And so, yeah, it does seem like these two characters have affection for each other, but maybe they are playing each other. Maybe one is it's maybe one is going to slip the knife in mm. and, and you just you do not know whether that's going to happen or not for most of the book. You're just kind of okay. you're waiting for it a little bit. You're waiting for one of them to be the jerk. <laughs> sure. But it just, yes. yeah. Okay. So the, the, the climax of the, of the story is red writes a letter to blue. That's like, don't read my next letter. Cause it's going to be in like a poison plant and it's going to k- kill you. Mm. <laughs> And we can't, we can just go back to admiring each other's work from afar and, and we can love each other, but we can't be in contact anymore because we're going to get found out. Okay. And then Blue like eats the poison plant and dies, but like inside the poison plant was another 
letter about how much Red really loved Blue. And then Blue dies, but Blue's clutching a letter that Red reads. And then Red is keep follow, is following these clues and picking up these little these little bits and pieces from their like past dealings with each other. And so it turns out that red was being pursued by a version of herself. Oh, who's like ingesting these little scraps of like the interactions between red and blue, like these little like red and red and blue are both destroying these letters as they, as they get them. But then this seeker person comes and takes a little bit of it and then like eats it or yeah. yeah, Right. And, so this older version of red is ingesting all these little bits of their relationship and then becomes kind of a little bit part of blue inside and then uses that to like break into the garden society and goes back to when blue was like a child and gives her a little bit of like immunity to the poison that was in the plant. Yes. And so they're just in this weird, it is literally called a, a Mobius strip. Oh, okay. <laughs> one point. Um, I want to explain myself, the self you've saved, the self you've infected, the self that was Mobius twisted with yours from its earliest beginning. Huh. And you don't really see them ride off into the sunset explicitly, but they are. Like in the last letter, it's like, what? It, like, I'm not going to defect to your side and you're not going to defect to my side. Maybe we just go and defect e- with each other and go do our own thing. And, mm. uh, but maybe this is how we win, Red. You and me, this is how we win. So, really, it's about how they won the time war. The only way to win is not to play. So, the, yeah. So, the title of the book is pretty misleading on a number of scores, <laughs> I think. <laughs> But you get, I, it is to just lay it all out like that, I think robs it a little bit of some of the, like, what is happening? Mm, and is <laughs> the sort of you, spiral at the, that happens at the end. Um, is the what is happening a feature, not a bug? Like, it is like kind of fun to be in that yeah, it's space. Kinda, it's it's kind of yeah. fun. Like, by the time. I I don't know that I realized there there were going to get into a time loop where they were actually both still alive and in love, but I didn't think that. Like it's a book where time travel exists. Like death is kind of fake. At the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but it, it the even the way that you described it to me here, like it didn't sound uh, time loops or that that type of continuity didn't seem like it was going to be a big part of what these two characters experienced. Mm -hmm. It seems like they're out there disrupting it for other people. And then to finally have that come home to roost feels like, you know, the coup of the book. Yeah. They're out there, out there uh, fighting the time war for their bosses. And really they need to be fighting the time war for themselves, for the love that they have Mm. for each other. Mm. Um, It's, Yeah, like, I don't even, there's not even really a lot more plot that I feel like I can encompass with. (laughs) Sure. It's a bit of a mind freak, this book, in like a good way. It's just a weird one. Can you elaborate on the, can you elaborate on what makes it mind freaky? It's. Is it that you, is it that because. 
that you weren't sure what to grab onto. It's, well, it's just like the 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 structure of it is is so out there. Just like the the back and forth of the of the letters and the like the the little snippets of specificity. Like I referenced the Atlantis stuff a couple times. Actually, let me read a little bit of the yeah. Atlantis part. Uh, Atlantis sinks, serves it right. Red hates the place. For one thing, there are so many Atlantises always sinking in so many strands. An island off Greece, a mid-Atlantic continent, an advanced pre-Minoan civilization on Crete, a spaceship floating north of Egypt, on and on. Most strands lack Atlantis altogether, know the place only through dreams and mad poets matter whispers. Because there are so many, Red cannot fix just one or fail to. Sometimes it seems Strand's bud Atlantises to thwart her. They conspire. History makes common cause with the enemy. 30, 40 times throughout her career, she's walked away from some sinking, burning island, thinking, at least that's over. 30, 40 times, the call has come. Go back. Hmm. Do you get a little, just a little hint of, man, it's a living, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> go, yeah. Gotta go save Atlantis again. Well, and and um, fun to get a picture of like which things persist across the threads, and like that's that's a smart device mm-hmm. because then you can you can riff on it um, without having to like write a book about all the umpteen million things that could happen. This is not even one of the weirder Atlantises. No crystals here. No flying cars. No perfect governments. No psychic powers. Those last two things don't exist anyway. <laughs> Sure. Hey, got him. Government. Got him. Got you. Uh, but yeah, you get these little, you, you feel them having fun with, with talking about like all the possible Atlantises. There's the end of one letter that says, meet me in London next. And then in the next chapter, uh, there is a city called London next, which is <laughs> like a new cool version of London <laughs> in this time frame. Yes. Which I really feel like was one of them just prompting them, like, let's do let's do one in London. And then the other one being like, hey, I wordplay is fun. Let's do this. <laughs> yep. That's cool. Um but yeah, the 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 interplay between the two um between the two characters. Like you like you can feel that the book is is co written, I think, in a in a good way, in a in a playful way. It it mm-hmm. does it defies having a sort of like it lo- it loses having a like consistent structure or like a feeling that it's been planned much in any given yeah. way like it's not you're not supposed to go poking around behind like closed doors because the game developers didn't make a room back there yeah there's nothing over there there's nothing yeah. there. <laughs> like what? Yeah. no 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 it makes sense mm-hmm. so there there's a there's an npr book review um for this by jason sheehan um that is a positive review and so i just kind of want to read some snippets from the beginning and just get your your reaction yeah bring, to bring me some other takes that i can that I can bounce yeah. off of so jason leads off the problem with time travel stories is the haywire factor um once you start messing with timelines and alternate competing realities you're decoupling effect from cause removing consequence from action so he that's the like He's making a claim about what can be troublesome in time travel. Yeah. Then he says, the epistolary novel, too, has a genetic defect that often cripples it. Um, it. The novel of letters is so deliberately narrow in focus that it can only traditionally exist in the hothouse environment of passionate, thwarted love, or occasionally prison. Mm-hmm. Um, it just or kind of, like monsters. 
I guess. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes monsters. monsters. <laughs> um, and so his argument there is just that like you you're never going to get a big you're not going to get a big objective picture of what the world is it's a very intimate format um and he says but what if someone wrote a time travel story that made the uncoupling and haywire craziness the entire point and what if you could ground all that crazy in the simple pure yearning of two lovers separated by the streams of space and time how do you how do you feel like the the time travel and the letter writing structure like play together i think i mean i think i think I, I don't know that I put it exactly like like that review puts it, but I do think that they complement each other because you take a you take a narrative form where just inherently it does not stand up to scrutiny. Like any any given time travel story requires mm-hmm. some suspension of disbelief because there's always a like why didn't why didn't they do this? Or why didn't they if they could time travel in the first place, why didn't they go back to this other time where the problem like could be nipped in the bud instead of like whatever, you know, there's I mean? always one, at least one, if not 50 hand waves that have to happen. Yeah. Just to like get you to the end of the story. And that's, that's yeah. setting aside things like star Trek four, the one with the whales where they <laughs> invent a scientifically repeatable mm. method of time travel that they just proceed to mostly ignore in every movie and TV show that's <laughs> subsequent to that. Um, so you, you take this thing that is, that doesn't stand up to any scrutiny and then you put it in a super narrow frame where Mm. you're not getting a lot of details anyway. So there's not a lot, there's not as much to scrutinize. Sure. And I think the, the, I guess the shortcomings or the weaknesses as, as he's describing those two things, like the, the inherent the the things that make the the format weird or flawed or like pitfalls or whatever yeah, yeah. they, they complement each other because yeah like there there is a lot of blank space but it makes sense that there's blank space because you're only getting it through these little snippets yep. from these two specific people and it's fine don't worry about it cool okay. it gives you it gives you a lot of leeway to go like oh this don't worry about it <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, because the the characters don't need to explain how the time war works to each other. No, and like they're the, in the time yeah. war, and the authors didn't need to sit down and figure like why is the time why is the time war why why where the did these where how did these cultures develop like they don't need to they don't need to go and fill anybody in about anything and no. then there's no there is no um, impulse on either of their parts to do the like info dumpy things where yep. two characters talk to each other about things that they both clearly would know if they lived mm. in the actual universe. Yep. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. I, that sounds great actually. Like yeah. I would, mm-hmm. I would hate to read the version of this book where there's like 50 more pages and it is both of them just maybe expressing their feelings about shared facts. Like mm-hmm. that sounds really. Yeah. Yeah, so you get a like they each of them shares little snippets about their society and how it's structured a little bit. Yeah, but I don't know. Aside from one being weird, uh, Last of Us plant network stuff, and one of them being weird Matrix people are floating in like tubs of fluid and 
operating as disembodied consciousnesses yes. <laughs> like beyond those very broad pictures of what is going on. You don't really you don't really get a lot more, which is fine. You don't need a lot more. Cool. Yeah. Um, I have a few Goodreads reviews to share with you. How many uh, How many stars and bad boys have? Most of them have three. Three star Goodreads reviews. I'll start with a four star Goodreads review that I thought was a three star because I clicked on the button and then I I took some notes on it that I liked and then four realized it was a four star Goodreads reviews. <laughs> this is a four star review from Chai. The the basic sentiment is these are good writers. Maybe they're too good. Um, <laughs> Together, their language soars as they write of desire, longing, fear, survival, and freedom. There are moments when the lyricism feels labored. The sentence is so bedecked with metaphors and analogies that one might crave a little more restraint. That How do you is, feel about the prose? Yeah, that does get to... These are two writers who are sort of kind of trying to one-up each other Great. some yep. of the time. Okay, a little yeah. bit of a rap battle happening. Yeah, it's a, little, a little complicated. A little bit, yeah. Just okay. dropping <laughs> drop adjectives and seeing what happens. <laughs> Uh, Billy three stars said I loved the love story aspect of it and generally got the gist of what was going on but there was some big picture world building that either completely went over my head parentheses likely or was missing parentheses possible I think more missing okay went over your head okay you didn't feel like stuff like you didn't fully get anything it was just that it was purposefully kind of chaotic and you weren't supposed to get it Yeah, yeah yeah a little bit okay um, or else I'm so, or, or else I didn't get it so thoroughly that I didn't even get that I was supposed to get it. <laughs> the the positive version of this review was from Haley, who said, "I really love the writing in this book. I think I would enjoy the overall story a lot more on a reread because the style and tone were jarring to the point of confusion at first. I look forward to reading this book again one day." Mm-hmm. Okay, it's two very two super soldiers who write very purple, florid prose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and then last, Eliza here said, interesting premise, original idea, beautiful writing. Felt like it was a little dull despite its melodic writing and raw characters spilling their emotions. I wanted more, more depth than I was given on paper. It seemed like there was a lot of emotion, but it wasn't coming through. Doesn't sound like you had that experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I think you, you kind of... And and this is this is maybe a thing that goes a little further back in the epistolary novels history, where where two people would fall in love mainly through letters and not through yeah. uh, like physical affection. In fact, I, sure. I just I just reread a book that has a lot of that in it in <laughs> yes. Love in the Time of Cholera. Um, yeah, I mean things do feel quick. I mm. uh, but I also have an e- a bit easier time like forgiving stuff like that in a book that's short because you because for me mm. it, it's it's more it, it, i just feel like a, a shorter form thing can inherently be a little more experimental without having to cover every base and yep. if it's not like if i read a book that's 500 pages long and i feel like it doesn't cover a base it's like what are we all doing here like that's a yes. lot of that's a lot yes. of room for you to address no. all of these possible problems yeah it, it becomes an issue of like what were your priorities when you set out to make this yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the, the i think the the priorities on on both of their parts which is to write this thing collaboratively to have it be mostly a love story Mm-hmm. And to both have a little bit of fun playing with like the high concept as 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 they went, yeah. I think those are all pretty obvious on a on a read and sure, like come through pretty strongly whether you know a lot of background about what's going on or not. 
cool. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a fun time. I'm not going to say it's like my favorite book that I've ever read, but I, I, I don't know. Never, that, I wouldn't have asked you to say that. I don't Andrew. know that these two characters have like distinctive enough like perspectives or voices yeah. that I'm really going to think about them a lot. They certainly um, seem defined by the fact that they are in an epistolary novel with the other one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, again, like a lot. It sounds like this book has a lot of virtues that in other books or just depending on your feeling, you might think are flaws. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's a, that, that is an interesting book, IMO. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps worthy of some awards, who knows? In your, in your O. <laughs> I your O. IYO. No one has ever said that. <laughs> but I'll put it in a letter to you soon. So Thanks. then you'll Yeah, let's it. write let's write a let's write a book that's just letters. Hey. There's once upon a time there's a Patreon reward where we were gonna write a book and then we tried a couple times and it was really hard, so we came yeah, up. So we did. <laughs> maybe it should have been a book of letters. <laughs> and so yeah, maybe we need to might write a little epistolary novel called yeah. This is how you win the time war. That's totally sequel. it's totally different from this book. Very different. Except it's definitely using the same structure. <laughs> this is how you win a time war. Oh. Mm-hmm. Very different. Mm-hmm. Super different. Yeah. It's about a hypothetical time war. Just just a time war. Yeah. And it's more this of a how-to, how, like how for dummies. <laughs> this is how we win a time war. Ooh. 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 Then someone else is gonna write, that's how you lose the time. <laughs> Just swap out the words. It's fun. Send us a letter, listeners at home, to overduepod at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about epistolary novels, about science fiction, about time travel, about the colors red and blue, Mm -hmm. or your favorite machinima. Machinimas. Uh, You can also find us on social media at overduepod. Thanks to Brendan, Grace, Leanne, Claire, Yanira, uh, Mick and many more for reaching out in the past week. Our theme song is composed by Nick Lorangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones we are going to read. We have a little embedded player you can use to play the this week's episode. The The stats inform me that people do in fact do that. But if you yeah. didn't know it was there, if you just like to put your laptop in a corner and play a thing, it's there. We never yeah. talk about it, so I thought maybe I'd talk about it. You can week. also just use that to just download the MP3 yeah. raw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uncut MP3s <laughs> that you can chop put, into a fine powder and <laughs> put it wherever you want. I don't you know, it's not trapped in your phone. Patreon.com slash overdue pod is our Patreon page. You can support us financially, join our Discord server uh, get bonus episodes early sit in on bonus episode streams we recently returned to the choose your own adventure book ghost train in one of those streams and i think everybody walked away a different person we all walked away we all walked away from the the return to the ghost train thank but like barely <laughs> barely not it was <laughs> real touch and go a, there. alive but not unchanged <laughs> Uh, yeah, Craig, what are you reading next week? Uh, next week I'm reading, uh, I'm not reading Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross by David Mamet. I don't feel like talking about David Mamet. Um, yeah. but we're going to talk about Cat on a Hot Tin Roof by Tennessee Williams. Meow. Meow. 
Uh, and then the rest of the schedule. Get that our, cat off of there. <laughs> our patrons' choice. Cat on a hot tin roof, rusted. That's funny. Uh, patrons' <laughs> choice episode coming up after that. That was uh, Heidi by uh, Johanna Speary. Uh, I had to just find it on my computer over here. And then O oh, Pioneers by Willa Cather. And then also on the main feed this week. So. Uh, soon you'll get the February bonus episode, as Andrew said, Ghost Train. And then later this month, uh, the first two episodes of Sand By Me, our Neil Gaiman miniseries uh, for The Sandman, will be hitting the main feed. If you want those in advance, uh, patreon.com show to pod, as Andrew said. All right, everybody. Thanks for losing, winning, losing the time war with us. With us. And until, <laughs> until we lose it again next week, <laughs> please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.